Father, we are really just peering into things that are at the very heart of the universe, uh, things that are far too wonderful for us, and we pray that you will help us this morning by your Spirit to hear your word rightly, uh, to see something more of the glory of what you're doing in this world and how you sweep us up into it. We do pray that for, for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, um, if you've been watching the news, you might know over the last few months, Adelaide's been making news uh, across the world. It was a few months ago now, but the Economist Intelligence Unit, you might have heard this, this sort of think tank, uh, it does a livability survey of cities all across the world. And, of course, Adelaide uh, is consistently ranked up there, right? Adelaide was in the top five this year of the most livable cities in the world. Actually, it was the fifth, but it sounds better to say it's in the top five, right? <laughs> you know? Uh, so Adelaide, uh, there we go. If, if this is going to work. Oh, okay. Hey. Uh, the fifth most livable city in the world. But you can't go too far when you're reading about Adelaide, can you? Before you hear uh, that famous description of the city, it is, of course... The city of churches, that's right. And here is our very own Holy Trinity North Terrace, which has a strong connections with Trinity South Coast. Impressive uh, historic churches. Uh, it basically, uh, it, when, you, when you hear this description, that Adelaide is the city of churches, essentially what is in people's minds, isn't it, uh, is that Adelaide is the city of old buildings, right? <laughs> it's the city of historic, impressive churches. Uh, and of course our own yeah, our Holy Trinity North Terrace is one of the great examples of that. Incredible buildings, the greatest architecture and art sort of revolving around these beautiful buildings. Uh, we're going to spend a little bit of time thinking about church over the next four weeks. We're going to, this week and three weeks uh, from now, we're going to think about church, the whole idea of what church is. Uh, and for many people, this is it, isn't it? It's the city of churches. It's uh, old historic buildings. But not far away from the impressive buildings, though, and probably lying behind them, uh, is another kind of idea of what church is, which is powerful and probably corrupt institutions. This is a shot from the scene called, of a movie called The Da Vinci Code, if you've seen or heard of the movie. Uh, because we're coming out of the book, of course, all about the way in which the church is this hierarchy of power that seeks to sort of profit off the unthinking masses, tainted with scandals. According to this view of Jesus, and this is a quote from the book, the, the, the story of Jesus is not the greatest story ever told, it's the greatest story ever sold. Uh, the church is as, an, as an institution increasingly means church as an evil, oppressive and life-denying presence in the world. Um, so this is sort of another, you know, maybe behind the buildings, church, not as a building but as an institution, a massive... Or maybe, on the other hand, though, of course, some, some, sometimes we think of this, but uh, potentially uh, not one institution but the mess the muddled mess of modern churches. This is someone's attempt to sort of diagram 
uh, a whole lot of different, the, 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 the streams of where all modern churches have come from. And you see it's just this mess of all these uh, splits and breakings off and all that sort of stuff. Perhaps this is our idea of what church is, a divided institution. Maybe, though, um, for you or for other people that you might know, it's something a little bit more sort of quaint, innocuous, you know, the, the kind of village church, the nice group in town uh, that gives social connection to those who have a bit of a spiritual bent, you know? It's kind of like the bowls club for religious folk. Uh, it's sports club with a bit of God talk thrown in uh, for the religiously minded and maybe those with an overactive conscience, you know, want to make it to church, but it's essentially a social group, a social club. Um, Relatively easy to float in and out of. Um, It's sort of like uh, some of us here, I can tell actually looking at many of us, are dedicated members of gyms. Um, I just recently signed up uh, this year to one of the gyms, and I'm experiencing this way that it's very easy to float in and out, more out than in, actually, <laughs> if you've ever had sort of gym membership. Uh, it's sort of, you know, a nice, nice thing to go to if you can get it. Uh, uh, even more possible, though, maybe is for us is the sort of view of church as basically a self-help resource. Uh, church, <laughs> church as a self-help resource. It's sort of like uh, it's something... It, it's good to, to get if you're a Christian. It's, it's sort of a nice boost to your, to your Christianity, uh, but it's really on the side. I don't, this probably isn't the best picture to describe what I'm talking about, but it's a good, you know, it's fun. Uh, it, it's sort of, a church is a bit of a means towards an end. It's a resource for you in your Christian life, and if you can get it, good. If not, no big deal. Uh, a whole lot of different ways that we can think about what church is. Well, each of these different ways of thinking about church, uh, they can be twisted, can't they? They can cause, I mean, it's sort of fun to have a bit of a skim through them, but really, (laughs) we know that they can cause great harm, can't they, in people's lives, great uh, tragedy. Each of them also, though, touches on something true and real. Uh, God's people have always needed places (laughs) together. They've always needed buildings The first Christians met in buildings owned by their own members. There's nothing inherently bad about institutions. In fact, they're just—I mean—they're just a necessary feature of life with more than you know a handful of people, aren't they? Just a necessary feature. Um, And God is a God of order, not of disorder. Churches have always been communities for for people to find sort of social interaction in, and they've always been interested in helping people grow. Uh, But friends, uh, when we come to the Bible's story of the church, and especially as we look today at this incredible chapter of Ephesians 1, which we're really only going to touch on this morning, uh, each of these ideas that we've just skimmed through is incredibly inadequate on their own. Incredibly inadequate. The reality of church is so much deeper and more wonderful and breathtaking and life-giving than any of these kind of caricatures of what church is about. We are going to look at Ephesians 1 today. If you have your Bibles open, that'll help you. Although I will uh, say, as I sort of just mentioned, we will really just skim through. There is just so much in here. Um, 
the great Welsh preacher, a guy called um, Martin Lloyd-Jones, you might have heard of him. I think he took... uh, uh, I think he took about 20 weeks to preach through this chapter, you know, so uh, we're not going to do that today. Uh, but uh, it, is, it just sort of shows you how rich it is, how, um, you know, you can just get so deep into all the things that come out of this chapter. But we're, we're really going to take a bird's eye view of this incredible picture of reality that we get here in Ephesians 1. Uh, we're going to take a bird's eye view at what we see here as really as, oh, friends, not the greatest story ever sold, forget that, the greatest story ever told, the greatest story, the greatest true story ever told. The greatest true story ever told. And we do get this glimpse into the heart of what God is on about in the world and how we can be swept up in it. It's a really exciting picture. As you, as you read through, uh, we're, we're going to, and you, if you have your hand out there, that'll sort of give you an outline also to help you see where we're going. At the heart of this incredible story of the whole universe, of the whole cosmos, of everything, at the heart of it, we see in Ephesians 1 verse 10, this incredible statement that all things are for Jesus. All things are for Jesus. Jesus. 1 verse 9, we'll start at verse 9. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfilment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Paul talks about this idea of the times, the times reaching fulfilment. This is this idea of a story, the not just any sort of story, but the story of all history, the story of the world. History, friends, is not a random and meaningless kind of series of events <laughs> that you're just thrown into. Uh, history is not even kind of what we like to, in our culture to tell ourselves where sort of we make our own history. It's not even man-made. All history, the times, all history has a purpose, a goal. Everything was created to find its unity, its harmony, its sort of rest under Jesus. Under Jesus, which is another way for Paul of saying under his lordship. Under Jesus' lordship. And that, friends, that is the story of the Bible. The greatest story ever told. Uh, We were made to live with God as our King. Uh, But from the first, from the first, we have rejected him. Our relationship with God and each other was broken when we reject God's kingship over our lives and we take his crown and put it on ourselves. We become, uh, we realise, when we live with ourselves as King, the, the tragic reality is that we make terrible lords for ourselves. We make terrible self-centred lords and our rejection of God brings disorder and judgment and death. But, friends, the story of the Bible is of God's incredible response to this. God's incredible response to this reality that we were made to live under his good and loving lordship. We turn away from it, we reject it, and the tragic consequence is disorder and death. 
But God's response is to set up, to set up, to re-establish his eternal kingdom. His eternal kingdom so that humanity, so that we could be restored. We could be restored under him as our king. We could live as we were created to live. And essentially, friends, that's the story of the Bible. Right from the very beginning of this salvation story, right in the, in the garden, really, in the early chapters of Genesis, but from, from Abraham, uh, when God chooses one man and says, through your family I will bless all the nations of the earth. And you trace that story through the Old Testament, the people of Israel, uh, who uh, established God's kingdom in a physical way, but that was always pointing towards the eternal spiritual kingdom that Jesus was going to bring in. Uh, and the story continues, and you end up, after God's people have rejected him again and have been sent into exile, you end up with Jesus himself in the, in the Gospels, uh, the eternal king of God's kingdom. God himself come to rule over his people, to bring them forgiveness, complete and wonderful forgiveness for the way that they have rejected him. Uh, to give them not only just a clean slate, but a new life. Not only forgiveness, but a new life under him in his, king, in his kingdom, with him as their king. The problem was so deep that we read it cost him his life to fix it, to bring us this forgiveness. That's how much he loves us, how much he's committed to us in his world. But of course, Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose again. He rose as the eternal king of a new creation and invites all people to enter into it. This is, this, this is the sort of backstory of what Paul says when he says, the times have reached their fulfilment in Jesus. This story, everything for Jesus. And friends, it's important that we get this right. Um, you might be thinking, what's this got to do with church? <laughs> but it's, it's critical, actually, that we get this right, right at the start, before we start thinking about us. You see, this story, so you see who's at the centre here? It's Jesus. Not us. It is Jesus. It puts us out of the centre. Our impulse, you know, our impulse to put God's crown on our own head, what the Bible knows as sin, our sin is so deep. Uh, it's very easy to basically see all of history about me, about us, about you and me. Uh, and especially when we think about church, can you see, friends, how this, uh, how wrong, how deeply wrong it is when we start to think about church sort of primarily as a, a building or a, a social institution, it can be so easy to put church at the centre and our desire can simply become to keep the wheels turning, to, you know, to keep this institution ticking over for its own sake. My, my prayer is uh, that God will preserve us from ever, here at Trinity South Coast, from ever just playing church, from ever just trying to build the institution for its own sake. History is not about us. History is about Jesus. He is Lord. He was Lord long before Trinity South Coast began and he will be Lord into, the, into eternity. It's the greatest story ever told and it is all about Jesus. 
and you probably know what's going to come next. There is a but. Okay. There's a but. We need to start there. But, however, that's not the end of the story, friends. Everything is for Jesus. And the breathtaking reality of Ephesians 1 proclaims to us that Jesus, this Jesus, who is the risen Lord of everything, who is the centre of all history, this Jesus is for the church. We'll get to that in a moment in verse 22. See, this, this picture of church in Ephesians, uh, we, we, church is a kind of powerful institution in this world that keeps going for its own sake. That's, you know, that, that puts Jesus out of the centre and the institution in the middle and it's wrong, we mustn't go there. But can you see how equally wrong it is to kind of see church as a sideline event, <laughs> as something on the, on the margins that's just not important at all? A nice social group or a self-help resource in your Christian life. Nice if you can get it, but ultimately unnecessary. You know, friends, the idea of an unchurched Christian uh, it just doesn't sit with this reality. God places all things under his feet. We read in verse 22 of chapter 1, God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. We, friends, are not the centre, Jesus is, but isn't this just stunning? Isn't this just stunning? In an incredible way, we are, by God's grace, brought into the centre. As Paul writes elsewhere in this chapter, adopted to sonship through Christ. Jesus, it's all about him. It's not about us in our own right and our own merits. But the wonder, the incredible beauty of the church is that we are brought into the centre by God's grace. We are told here that God places everything uh, under Jesus to be head over everything for the church. And then there's this sort of, Paul fills this out uh, so we see the church is both sort of not the centre and but also in the centre because it's connected to Jesus. Because, uh, uh, but the, the way we're connected to Jesus, Paul goes on to talk about. So uh, he goes on in that last verse, which is his body, the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is an incredible, incredible thing, friends. Uh, this is an organic uh, what's going on here? Uh, what's going on when it says the church is his body? <laughs> it's, it is a kind of uh, a, a strange metaphor, illustration to use about what church is, but it is so powerful, isn't it? Uh, it speaks of this sort of organic and vital and necessary connection. The church is not a, a tack on to what Jesus is doing. It's so powerful. We're not sort of loosely connected. Paul describes the church as that group of people who are connected to Jesus like a body is connected to its head. Uh, an organic, a necessary connection. And the head rules, right? The, the head directs the body, tells it what to do. The body is the head's sort of presence in the world, if you like. So there's this image of the body, but then there's, we're gonna, it just gets more and more incredible. 
Okay, all the while in mind in this little phrase, keep in mind of who Jesus is, the risen, exalted Lord of all things. And he is the Lord for his church, which is his body, the fullness of... What's going on with this, this fullness of him who fills everything in it? Somehow, it, this is incredible, isn't it? Somehow the church fills Jesus. Uh, some, in some way, he... It's kind of incomplete without it, like a head without a body. But as soon as you say that, alarm bells should be ringing. You, know, uh, you might have, this probably um, is a bit dated, so I don't know if it's still being watched at, uh, currently, but you might have seen the movie from the mid-90s, Jerry Maguire. There's this beautiful scene at the end where... Uh, have you seen it? Uh, no, 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 anyway. Uh, there's a guy, it's... Um, what's his name? Tom Cruise, thank you. Incredible scene at the end of the movie... Uh, where he reconnects with his love interests and he says this wonderful phrase, you complete me. Okay, you complete me. It just, it's a beautiful moment, but it's total rubbish, okay? Uh, it's not true for people. God completes us, not other people. That's called idolatry. Uh, but it's not true of God either. We don't complete him as if there's kind of something lacking in him and he's really needy and he kind of needs us Got to be careful. The same person who wrote this, the Apostle Paul, uh, said in Acts, in Acts chapter 17, if you want to jot that down, he, he, he describes God and he says, God isn't served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives li everyone life and breath and everything else. God isn't needy and incomplete in that way. There's no lack in God. He doesn't need. He is not insecure. He exists eternally as Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit in a mutual relationship of love. But so, what's going on here when Paul says this body of Christ, this church, is the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way? The church, friends, is Jesus' fullness not because of his own neediness or lack or inadequacy, but because of his love. Because in his sovereign grace, he chooses not to be without us. He doesn't need us, but he loves us. And because of his love, he binds himself to the church in such an intimate way that Paul can talk about the church as his body. He freely chooses, he, not in himself, uh, in his own being, but he enters into a kind of incompleteness without his body. He chooses to be incomplete without his body, like a head without a body. But friends, it gets even better, okay? <laughs> this is all incredible, isn't it? I mean, isn't it that the God who exists in perfect completeness welcomes people into his life. He chooses to be incomplete without us, without the church. But that word church, and here we're finally getting to something like a definition of church, and we sort of mentioned it earlier. Uh, this gets even better. The church uh, in the New Testament, and we talked about it in the kids' talk, it doesn't mean building, it doesn't mean institution, it doesn't mean... It just means a gathering, a getting together, 
people gathering together. And back when the New Testament was written, you all had all kinds of churches, right? People would church for all different reasons. And, but Paul sets this special churching out as a particular kind of gathering, uh, a physical, local gathering of those in Christ. Okay. Uh, I just want to spend a, a second here just pausing because I, uh, it's important that we come to grasp something of the significance of this. Because if we have in our minds when we hear the word church, if we have something out there, some big sort of undefined thing, uh, you can read this in one way. The church, which is his body, it fills everything in every way. Just change the word church to the gathering. God has made Jesus Lord of all things for the gathering, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Maybe more concretely, God has made him Lord of all things for this gathering, Trinity South Coast, which is the, his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The incredible truth that we're, is proclaimed here and that we're sort of grasping at is that the local church, friends, the local church really is the hope of the world, the local gathering of God's people. Trinity South Coast are the gospel gatherings of those who are in Christ. It seems dangerous and maybe even, maybe for you even kind of ridiculous to suggest, uh, but God's word, friends, declares it to be true. Every person exists for Jesus. He is the Lord of the South Coast and the freedom and meaning and purpose and eternal destiny that each of us, each of us long for can only be found in him. We were created to live under him, entrusting ourselves to his good lordship, his self-giving death for us, his resurrection power in us. And this gathering is his body. This gathering is his body. Now, friends, of course, um, gatherings do stuff, right? Every gathering you're a part of, you sort of get together, not just to stand around and just gather. You do things together, right? Uh, and this, the, the, this, gathering, this gathering does stuff. <laughs> Trinity South, we do things together. And that's important stuff. And over the next few weeks, we're going to think about the things that, as Christ's body, we do together. Some of the things that we sort of uh, do together. Uh, we're going to think about that in terms of three relationships. Our relationship up, our sort of vertical relationship up our, in our relationship with God. Uh, our relationship out to our community, to the world, and our relationships in pointing in to each other, our, our sort of relationship, our life together here as a church family. But, friends, uh, the reason we're starting here is because there's a danger in doing that. There's a danger in skipping straight to talking about the stuff that we do, sort of getting into a bit of an activity trap, as if... Basically, being church is about doing a certain set of things. 
if we're to think properly about the next few weeks, about the things that we do together as we grow in our love for God and hear his word and uh, we deepen our love for him as we seek to be his witnesses to the community around us and as we seek to love each other as Christ loved his church, um, uh, as we seek to grow in all those different ways, if we're going to do that properly, we need to start, before we start thinking about what we do, we need to, we need to start with what has been done for us and to us and in us and apart from us, what has already been done. See, the church is not a work of Christians. It is a work of God. The great work of God's incredible grace, the body of the Lord Jesus, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And our primary relationship to this great global universal work that God is doing in the world, our primary relationship to it is not as a doer, but as a receiver. As a receiver. And you got that if you um, sort of uh, were reading through before, as we read through the chapter. Uh, uh, and uh, again, we haven't touched on so much that's in here. Uh, but if you look at verse 13 of chapter 1, verse 13 says, And you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1 tells the greatest story in the world, and it's all about Jesus and the wonder of the gospel, friends, the wonder of, the wonder of church is that we get written into this story. <laughs> we get written into it. We don't get written into it by kind of making a good case to the author that we ought to be. You know? We don't get written into the, this story because you know, we're good enough for it or we deserve it. See what Paul says here, simply by hearing, hearing the gospel, the news that Jesus is Lord and he offers you forgiveness and new life today. Simply by hearing that and believing that, entrusting your life to Jesus as your good and loving King. And if you've done that, all of chapter 1 is true of you, for you. Uh, we haven't touched on the, the beautiful, magnificent start of chapter 1, but every spiritual blessing in Christ is yours. You are his body. He chooses not to be without you. Isn't that Magnificent, incredible. The Lord of the universe looks on you. Maybe, though, today you're not at a place where you know you're at a place where you know that's not you. Uh, can I say, on the one hand, there's nothing stopping that from happening today, nothing at all. Hearing and believing, it's so simple. But uh, perhaps you need more time to kind of hear more about this message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and wherever you're at, you're, very, you're so welcome, and it would be a great sort of community to hang around and um, keep exploring those issues. But friends, just to, uh, we sort of come to the end of our time. Uh, just to finish up, though, uh, the church, friends, is the breathtaking outworking of God's incredible grace. This gathering, Trinity South Coast, 
the body of Christ, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Next week, we're going to look at a little bit about this body uh, and how it, how it goes to the gym. But I'll um, hold off until then. Let's pray together, shall we? Shall we pray? Our gracious Father, we do thank you for this incredible story. We, Lord, we know uh, that we're so prone to putting our hope in the things of this world. We're so prone to putting ourself at the centre. Father, today help us to see the reality that because Jesus died and rose again, he is the Lord of all things. Uh, But help us, Lord, to see the wonder, uh, the wonder that he chooses to sweep us up in his kingdom, under his lordship. Thank you for this incredible description of the church as his body uh, in this wonderful way, the the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Uh, Lord, we've really only just touched on it, but we pray that you'll help us to know more uh, and to live more and more in line with the reality of who you have made us to be in Christ. And we pray that for your glory. Amen.